Good afternoon and welcome back to the Careers Mayor podcast, the podcast about careers that's also funny. And today we're going to be speaking to a very funny man. But before I tell you who he is, let me introduce you to another very funny man, my co-host, Jordan Andrews. Hello, Jordan. (laughs) Sorry, Jacob, I was just laughing at my own joke. (laughs) You're looking in the mirror and laughing at yourself. Yes. Because you look so funny. Now it's the sad podcast because you've made me cry. Do you reckon that people can look funny as in not look funny as in look weird, but look funny as in they look like they're funny? Yeah, definitely. If you look to us, if we were walking down the street, say hand in hand, maybe, but we don't have to be if you if you don't want to, but I'd like to, and someone saw us, then they definitely say, well, there's a couple of funny guys. I think that you look funnier than me. I think I don't look that funny. I think you're doing yourself a disservice there, but I could be biased because I know you and I know how funny you are. Thank you. But yeah, I think that you look like you're funny and you are funny. So there. We should really start a bit more of a like combative kind of relationship, shouldn't we? <laughs> that will add a bit more spice to to these sections. We need to stop getting on. Oh, oh, I think you're rubbish. I quit. I don't like it. Here's some homework for our listeners. (laughs) Try to set things up that create tension between me and Jordan. Um, So try to orchestrate disintegration in our relationship, in our friendship. Yeah, maybe you could tweet at us, you know, something like, I can't believe what Jacob said about Jordan the other day. I can't believe that he would say such a horrible thing. Maybe maybe then you'll witness the downfall of charisma. Well, we'll still do the podcast, but yeah. these will be very frosty introductions. We could be like Chaz and Dave, because they famously fell out, and then apparently they would only talk to each other through their drummer. Yeah, um, you've already got the accent. Yeah. <laughs> and i won't stop talking why don't i give it a rest (laughs) but enough about us and our future fallouts today's guest is a project manager at a web design company but we met him because he was the president of southampton comedy society of which we used to be members like our former guest eva wallace who was also a president of Southampton Comedy Society, and also like Eva Wallace, our guest was in a sketch troupe with my good self back in the day. And our guest is the wonderful, lovely Sean Gilbody. And I think it's time to hand you over to other Jacob and Jordan, the ones who were interviewing Sean, and Sean himself. I'll play us out, Jacob. Sean. Uh-huh. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Sean. Uh-huh. How are you? I'm doing very damn doodly well, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I um, almost set fire to my toaster earlier, so that was stressful. <laughs> from the inside but, or from the outside? It was from the inside. Um, I okay. I was cooking some pasta and I I double dipped on the toast <laughs> in the toaster. 
It's not how you do it. I get a sandwich bag and I fill it with water. <laughs> or basically ice. And then I plop some pasta and some creme fraiche on top. And then I follow HelloFresh. That's what they tell me to do. So, so you, yeah, you, you, you double dipped on the what? Sorry, on the bread, presumably. I double dipped on the bread, yeah. I double, I double what would you call the pressing down motion? The, the lower um, of the bread. Uh, the lever. Priming is what I call it. Okay, I double, I double prime. I seconded, seconded. That. Is that what you meant? I seconded the bread. <laughs> Have you ever seen like a fire in a toaster? No. no. Please paint us a picture with words. Oh, okay. Um, have you ever seen a fire? That's going to be hard. Uh, <laughs> yes. Orange. Yeah. And I've seen bright. a toaster. And you've seen a toaster. Okay. Com- combine the, not the, so the fire is in the toaster. Com- put one into the other, but not the other way around. I was having this debate right, and leave this in, Jacob. You have to leave this in. Because I need the listeners to help me out. Okay, I will leave it in. Wink, um, wink. <laughs> um, so the other day, Sean. So when we get people on, we like to take it right back to the start. Cast your mind back to the day you were born, and what was your job when you came out? <laughs> it was a it was a cold Monday morning, uh, <laughs> the fifth of October, ninety two. Um, <laughs> that will give away some passwords. Uh, so it was the 5th of october 92 uh born four minutes past midnight the witching hour Uh, the witching hour i was a witch appropriately (laughs) and that was the hour i was allowed out uh yeah i wrote down all my first jobs because i kind of tried to i haven't had that many and then mostly after about halfway through you go oh it's just an office fine the first one technically i did work experience at school i worked at an accountancy firm quite a big one in london they didn't really know what to do with me i think like someone's mum worked there i when i was a kid I'm, i was very good at maths and i'm still kind of i can do sums quite quickly what is 17 <laughs> times 15 17 times 15 255 i don't know uh yes yeah yes it is <laughs> i'm good i, well I like me yeah i'm very <laughs> that made it so, i really didn't want to be asked in case i got it wrong because i'm glad you asked me an easy one They'd get me to like go through someone else's work and just check that the numbers added up pretty much. I worked through Leighton Orient Football Club. I, I got to look at the, into their accounts and like there was no oh, detail. Yeah. It was literally just sums and sums and sums. The worst day I had there was, so there were like different departments. So when I was like checking through the tables, that was just doing some maths for the whole day and then just sitting around like with a load of 30 year olds. It was quite boring. Uh, later on, they moved me a floor up for a day to auditing. And in auditing, they needed me, they were shredding papers. So what they needed me to do for the whole day was to take staples out of like reams of paper. They didn't give me, you know, you can get like those staple clip things to like rip stuff out. Yeah. They didn't give me one of those. So I would do it by hand. And obviously because like the ends are sharp, like I'd end up like cutting the tips of my fingers. So slowly I was getting like, as I was going through the different bits of audit, I was getting more and more blood on them. So by the end of the day, I think they came up and went, these are the bloodiest audit- audits we've ever seen. <laughs> so I put my head down and walked away. I was 16. So, But didn't you say, why didn't you give me a thing for taking the staples out? I, I was not aware of such a technology. <laughs> you had to remember, I was, an, uh, I, was a, I was a young babe, not as young as the 5th of October, 92. But I think I was 16 at this point. So I never, like, un- I ne- I never needed to unstaple something before. But when you were doing it, was no one watching you? Were you doing it alone in a oh, room? No, pretty much. Yeah, it was kind of. I was. It was the first day I was there. It was very clear that I was. I was a bother, and they didn't really. 
I was like an extra bit of work for someone else rather than let's show someone young how to like work here and what we do. <laughs> Presumably at some point this accountancy firm has done a big digitization project and they've scanned all of their paper files into a database. So does it trouble you to think that a photocopy or a scan of some of your blood might be in an accountancy firm's cloud storage? It excites me if like <laughs> a part of my a part of my DNA is in SharePoint. I think that is, that would make me almost the first cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking with teenage jobs. Okay, my next, my first like paying job. I worked security at racecourses. No, when I was about sixteen. You're a bouncer. Yeah, I was a bouncer, a sixteen-year-old bouncer. It did not work. People did not respect me. But it was, it was quite interesting because I'm not scared of horses. But these horses are big. <laughs> They're really, really big horses. Yeah. So I would work during the day. It'd be uh, horse racing. And at night, it would be big concerts. So we'd have uh, Tom Jones did one. So I got to see Tom mm. Jones live. I oh, got to see, cool. he was the only real one, big one. I got to see Jessie J before she won the, the Chinese X Factor. Jessie J. Uh, she won the Alfie Chinese Bo. X Factor. Why would she go she on the Chinese? She's not Chinese, is she? If we're being cynical, would we say it's because she was trying to break the Chinese market? Or are we saying she's is, just very... Yeah. <laughs> but she just or she was she trying really to break it. into it or break it down since then they have had more economic issues <laughs> they have so maybe it has worked yeah but yeah so i saw jesse J, uh alfie bow uh oh you're going right off a cliff now in terms of <laughs> name recognition <laughs> uh the rat pack a rat pack experience not the um, rat pack. Oh, just the. They didn't bring them back to life yeah, and a couple just, the, just the corpse. It, it was kind of like uh, a state funeral. Uh, it's their new touring show. You know, uh, Abba Voyage. Yeah. 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 Where they kind of. So they. It was before. It was pre hologram technology. So the closest they could obviously get was kind of the three, four of them on the, the four cadavers on a stage. Yeah. With yeah. strings attached to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. some kind of master of puppeteers. A Ferris yeah. Bueller's Rat Pack. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. It was kind of, I don't know, if, if have either of you ever done any stewarding before? No. Uh, does it count if I, no, I guess it doesn't count. No, I've never done it's stewarding. It's a lot of telling people not to stand on stairs. You kind of, you're given a high-vis jacket and you turned up like an hour before general punters would turn up. And then... Kind of with General Punters, he was a good. Uh, it's good to have those senior military figures coming to <laughs> coming to visit. Every, there was a lot of buzz around when they were when they showed up. Thank you for your service. <laughs> well, I did work in the Royal Box, not a, when, on a day when a royal was there, but there might have been a general. I don't know. I got given a high vis jacket, yellow. It was. Um, you've seen high vis jackets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's either yellow or orange. <laughs> yep. This was a yellow one. Let's be clear. Orange were for okay. the seniors. Um, I can picture it. Yeah, you've got it in your head. Uh, and then we'd have to go in like suit and tie. And we'd basically walk around during the race day. And you're paid minimum wage. Um, so if there was like, and I never saw any trouble, but if there was, I, you're not going to get involved really. In the evening, you'd then have to like, everyone's trying to like get a good angle of like seeing Tom Jones. For some reason, I don't know if it's like a, like worrying that people are going to fall down the stairs or something, but they just couldn't stand on the stairs. So you'd constantly be having to like tell people about three times your age 
to move back and then they'd give you like jip about why so they'd carry on moving forward and that was that was that job really how did you respond to people giving you jip because that's often the worst nightmare of an adolescent this thing that did make me scared of jobs for a really long time because there was no response because like you're 16 you don't really it's a mixture of not really caring and not being clever or smart enough to to have a response like nowadays i think people should be like more respectful of stewards really because it is like it's so terribly paid i think yeah that's the same as my next my next job i worked in a pub as well and i think people need to be more respectful like bar staff as well it's the same thing where oh yeah people are trying i just think i just think with the stewardship it's like you see someone there with a high vis and instantly you're like oh they're just the fun police aren't they yeah exactly I mean, I worked, I worked behind a bar for a bit. Luckily, I'd never had any trouble because it was like events I did. So it was like companies were there. So everyone was sort of on best behavior. But mm. what was yours, like a pub or a restaurant or something? It was kind of like, yeah, it was kind of a country vibe pub. It was kind of on the edge of this small town. There was never like loads of trouble. The, like, the main trouble was either like someone had done drugs in the toilet. One time, like a guy, we caught a guy doing drugs in the toilet. We kicked him out and he went to the kind of rougher pub next door. He drank there the rest of the night came back we had to lock the doors because we were closing up we looked out the window and he was urinating on the window it was was, i've never done it before but it was what he was into (laughs) so you just kind of saw him and then you just slowly like draw the curtains and that was that was the end of the night there's this drinking game uh called beer man which um (laughs) okay you know how your body has eight pints of blood yeah if you can drink eight pints without going to the toilet, anything more than that, you will have more beer than blood in your system. And therefore you become the beer man. Oh, that's got me thinking, actually. Could I could I drink eight pints and not go to the toilet? Oh, Very hard. To I, think, I think the next time I... And then record a podcast. Yeah. yeah I'm, straight after. I think the next time I'm getting boozy, I will have to try that. Yeah. So the pub job that came immediately after the steward stewarding, did it? No, no, no. Sorry, I should have been clear. So the stewarding was like a summer job thing. It was such a random thing. I don't know. What do people like? I suppose pubs are the other things that people do when they're like students and trying to make a little Case money. Supermarkets. And, yeah, supermarkets. Just customer facing retail stuff. Yeah. The other one I did, I was, when I, I failed out after two years and then... I started working in the pub. Was that just, at that point, did you have any idea of what you wanted to go on to do? Um, so at that point, so I asked my mum and dad this question, like, what do I, what did I want to be? I have a terrible memory, so I can't remember. They said scientist. No part of science. They just said scientist <laughs> general. And that scientist, and that's why we bought you that chemistry set. Now, I can't, I think I played with the chemistry set on Christmas Day, but I can't remember it apart from that. I think I always assumed I was going to be an accountant because of the math thing that I mentioned earlier. But if you just think, like, what jobs require maths, I think it's probably the first one that comes to mind. Realistically, the answer is, like... Calculator? <laughs> yes. Human abacus. I could kind of coil myself around a wooden pole, and someone could slide me along if I could convince four or five other people to do it with me. Um, Let's do it. Come on, we're not at the dream <laughs> job section yet, Sean. <laughs> um... So that was my assumption then. So yeah, I worked in the pub and worked stewarding just to kind of get some money because I needed to start raising some money to go to uni. And then I got my first, well, I'm going to call it a proper job. I worked for uh, an insurance company. 
I worked in their call center, which is probably the worst job I've had so far. That's normally the case when people say they worked in a call center. I yeah. concur. <laughs> it was, it was pain. So we were not compare the meerkat, but we worked on some of the products that compare the meerkat sells. So, is it called compare the meerkat, or is it called compare? Is that not just a slogan, or is it? It is compare the market. Sorry, but who's <laughs> called it compare the meerkat? Don't they? So they kind of did the did the landlords and the. Public indemnity insurance. Do you guys know what uh, public liability? Sorry, do you guys know what public liability is? Uh, is that like um, if someone comes into a building and there has an accident or something? Like, no, that's occupier's liability. No, so this is kind of like that, but for tradesmen. So, like, say I'm a builder and I'm working on your house and I actually knock down, like, I break a window. This kind of insurance covers that. So, yeah, we worked on right. that product, and it was. The it was so stressful because that was kind of really scripted. They would listen. You would like every month you would have a session with the manager, and she would listen to like three calls that you did, and you'd have to note down every single bit where you left the script. I got told off once for saying sorry too much because I'm flipping flicking through the script. You're kind of you're umming and ahhing quite a lot because you don't naturally know what the next words are going to be. So I would say like, sorry, I'm just gonna be a sec, and then you're flicking through because when you do it, when you do this over the phone, this public liability insurance. I don't know if you've ever talked to an insurance company over the phone, but they've got to go through almost every bit of detail because if you have a claim and they think it's been missold and you haven't gone through like all the different pieces, kind of you have to pay for it anyway. The insurance company have to pay for it, so you have to really cover. They have to cover their own backs. So it was mm, really, yeah. yeah, it felt really pressurized all the time at the same time we started kind of because it's landlord's insurance as well whenever like it was cold and there were floods everyone would call in but unless like you have really special insurance you're not covered for flooding so you'd have people calling in it would be people calling in to make claims or people calling in because they wanted a meerkat toy our <laughs> type of insurance didn't cover the meerkat toy so we had to make that really clear every time it was yeah, it was kind of it was a lot of like granddad saying, "I've got this specific insurance because my granddaughter wants this little this little t- cuddly Aww. meerkat." Oh, so and you gave them away with the we, insurance, we, or so for the meerkat for like well, like for your public, more like public facing stuff. Like if you got your personal home insured or something, or your car car insured, then you're entitled to a meerkat. If you got like something I was going to say, I'm then, pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my dad or my sister got one when they got car insurance or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Do they like it? Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meerkat, isn't it? Um, yeah. We were hoping at least three very amazing <laughs> anecdotes were going to come out of that question, <laughs> but no. Like, my job now, so at the moment I'm a project manager, so it is kind of, it's client-facing rather than customer-facing. It's similar in the sense that I don't know, you get that. It was dread then, which is a really strong word to use. Now it's probably just nervousness before before a call. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if it's an imposter syndrome thing. or I can't say I've ever felt that unless there's a particular reason why, if I know it's I'm going to be talking to someone difficult, mm. or if I don't really know what I'm doing, <laughs> which that's, has occasionally happened. That's my fear. I feel like a lot of the time I don't know what I'm talking about. And when you're a project manager... So we work, I'm a, I work at a, sorry, this is kind of ruining the format, but I work at a web design no, no, company. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so I work at a web design company. 
and we do like two sides so there's like kind of a designer half where they're kind of getting ideas from the client and understanding what their content is and building these really beautiful pages and then the technical half where they're thinking about how this stuff can actually be implemented as a project manager you're you know a little bit about both but not enough to talk in confidence about the subject uh so a lot of the time you're relying on other people to kind of know what's going on and i think it when then those other people are taken away because i think it's probably unrealistic to expect everyone to be on every call you're supposed to be your client's kind of digital expert it gets quite complicated then because like i don't i, I can't build a website and i don't know why things are designed a certain way i can like have my idea i can say like that's that looks nice and i like what that does but i can't actually mm. create it kind of they're just terms that i know roughly what they mean and i'm html html yeah i know like <laughs> we don't use html but um oh. i kind of if someone says javascript i go that's probably a bit more complicated than we're used to but i understand what that means but it's things like different integrations way of different systems talk to each other there are really specific terms and if i say the wrong thing a developer would get confused because yeah it's a really specific thing in their mind but like a client kind of they just want to understand concepts rather than rather than specifics the most powerful phrase in the world is i don't know yeah i think that's what i've learned as i've gotten older when you're younger i think it's your first you, it's like your early jobs you're you think the world's expected of you almost you yeah. feel like yeah and you're keen to impress yeah, 100%. yeah exactly and especially at a call center if you don't know something you put the customer on hold that gets tracked like how long they've been hold for on hold for and generally like there's a i think we were given limits that if someone was on hold for a minute you'd have to have a you'd have to say something to them just to apologize after like five minutes that gets quite annoying if like there's some music like playing down your ears and then i'm just going sorry i'm gonna be another minute and then the same music starts again yeah it's a bit it's not healthy i think when you don't feel supported it's probably harder as well i think at that company in particular they knew that you weren't going to be there for long so they weren't really giving too much help yeah and you and you have more to prove i guess but it's a bit like how when you apply for your first job you have to scrape together every thing of any notes that you've ever done and make it sound like you've cobbled that together into a model employee mm -hmm. but if you're applying for a job and you've already done that exact job or a similar one before for three years then suddenly it's so much nicer i don't know if <laughs> You've had that, but so it's such a nice experience relatively. So on your CV, do you still have A-levels or anything like that on there? No, not anymore. I think. Uh, yeah, I think I just put that I achieved A-levels or like four A-levels A star to C. I don't think I actually specified what they were or what grade. I think it was only like in my current job where I took them off. So like up to like two years ago on my CV, it, just felt, it was really good padding. The way I format it, because my see how long is CV supposed to be? I was told two pages. Two like, pages, ideally one page. I think if it's one really. page, then we're sorted. But it used to be mine used to be like two pages, but I would say a good three quarters of a page. I just listed every GCSE I had, and I just hope <laughs> that they cared that I got like a C in Latin. Um, you did Latin. I did Latin. I know. What a nerd. <laughs> Latin, That's actually a good maths. point to actually upset the format even more by going backwards a bit. So we can understand the man before us who wanted to be an accountant but also was a bouncer for a bit. Tell us a bit about what 
Mr. Gilbody was like when he was a child, because you you know how some people you can't imagine them ever being a child. You're one of those people to me. And I know that I'm that person to some other people, so I feel okay. Yeah, so. you are that person to me, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you went to Lancaster for two years. What did you do there? I did economics and politics. Uh, I liked economics uh, and politics. It, the the requirement grades were lower, so I I added that onto the side. So you so you did that for two years at. Lancaster and then you quit or you you dropped out I got kicked out pretty much I, I think I was badly why? advised <laughs> why it sounds like I've done something really like rebellious I just kind of I failed the year and I think the normal process is that if you fail a year then you kind of get to resit it and I was told under no circumstances should you ask to resit the year by uh, the student union the yeah. student union <laughs> yeah so I talked to the student union because like that's what you what you do i think i just said like i've done really badly there's no real excuses i've just done poorly what should i do next and they said like oh there's an appeals board but um realistically if you appeal to them it's more for like if you've got extenuating circumstances but i appealed anyway and then they said sorry you're not invited back for the next year which seems kind of i think we have friends who failed years really and yeah. they just got to resit it yeah so yeah, yeah. i've got a couple a bit of annoying. To reset. yeah i would guess that bad bit of advice probably cost me let's say 40 grand if we're being realistic what is the 27 the 27 grand for the uni fees yeah plus the extra years of maintenance loan that i had to take out on top of that oh right okay yeah Yeah. so why why southampton um i there isn't a good reason i think i had originally applied to Southampton when i went to lancaster and i went to lancaster because it was so far away from home it kind of felt different Mm. Uh, and I like the idea of living up north. Southampton maybe felt a bit closer to my mum and dad. It wasn't too far away from my girlfriend at the time. Uh, it had like a nice vibe. It's a nice campus, I think, isn't it? And I, I wanted to stick within a Russell group just because it felt nice to do that. So I had a good three years. I lived four years in Southampton, so I lived one year extra just with me and my uh, now wife. To, I would, to be honest, I was surprised, Sean, that you stayed the extra year. Uh, but it, wasn't, de, it, wasn't it because you had the tenancy? And you... Louise had a permanent job uh, and oh, right, it was the only right. money we had coming in. So it was either that or like we stopped living together and it just felt mm. simpler to do it that way. So yeah, that's the only, I think that's the only reason. And like, we still like, you guys are still there. So we still had friends there. Yeah. But like, obviously I started working. That's when I got my first kind of post-uni job. I started working in London. Uh, so I was doing the commute from Southampton to London every day. I'd wake up at about six every morning. I feel bad for complaining about waking up at six, but if you do wake up at six for your current job, it's too early. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. So I'd wake up at six. I'd leave the house at 6.30 to get the 7 a.m. train. I would fall asleep on the train. A few times I accidentally fell asleep on a woman, which I still think about sometimes. Not the deliberately, but hopefully not. I can't remember their faces, Jacob. I was asleep. <laughs> Um, I drank eight pints of nap. <laughs> if you cut the beer man thing out, this is not going to make any sense. But I'm <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah, have to keep it in now, Jacob. So yeah, I kind of yeah, there was I'll do that. Then I in the winter especially it was hard because I'd then have a half an hour walk in London, so I'd have to get a train especially. It was one every train every half an hour, so you'd have to get one half an hour early. 
in case anything went wrong. So I had to then do a half an hour walk in London across Waterloo Bridge. So you're over the top of the river and the wind's blowing, it's freezing cold. I'd get in, I'd probably stink of sweat by that point. And then everyone else had like a 10 minute commute and just seemed really perky. And I was just kind of already <laughs> drained for the rest of the day. And then that job, not meaning to go back to the format, that job was uh, a, I was a fulfillment executive. And I know the question burning on your lips. What is a fulfillment <laughs> executive? And I'm about to yes. tell you. <laughs> it is. Uh, so like, we... Do you know all the magazines and have I got news for you? Like they do that bit at the end where like it feels yeah. like they make up a magazine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We worked on those magazines and sent them out to people. It was great. So like, Oh really? Yeah, I can't oh, that's remember. That's really cool. I can't remember like I'm gonna like make up some of the names of them, but they're the right kind of topic. We had things like uh Australian Minerals Monthly. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was a, an auction house that we had, quite a famous auction house, and that was really cool because this was just before GDPR came in, so I'm going to say it was really cool. Like they had loads of famous people on the list, so every so often like you'd be typing stuff in and you find out like where Paul McCartney lived. So I have his full address now, and I'm about to say it out loud. <laughs> uh, it is to Denham Drive, South East London, <laughs> SW5. 3PY. <laughs> is that actually it? <laughs> no, but I'm hoping. Uh, well, of course it's not, because he said, because if you were listening, Jacob, he said South East London and then gave an SW postcode. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Boink. His address is One Penny Lane. <laughs> oh, what's that? Is that, a, is that a Beatles song? No, the, there's a Beatles song called Penny Lane. Um, That's what I said. I said, is that a Beatles yeah. song? He said, no, it's a Beatles song. Oh, I, I just said no. <laughs> you just used to that being the first you know, word that's you know, needed. Like, you, you know like how sometimes when someone asks you a question, you go, no, nah, yeah. Like, no, yeah. Yeah, but you didn't say the yeah, you just said... Yeah. But anyway, just, it's fine. Cut, 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 cut. Cut. Um, so, what were the other magazines? <laughs> there was a boxing one. I'm trying to think of like weird... The industries were so niche, you would never understand why people would go for it. I guess they're all e-magazines these days, probably, aren't they? Because it's cost too much money now to... I mean, the, I the magazine from, like, the trade magazine for my trade is an online-only thing. I can't imagine that. I think they would lose money if they actually printed it out. Jacob, you have to remember, and if I say this once, I say it a million times, <laughs> this was pre-COVID. We were a tactile country. We, we like to leaf through... I know on a Kindle, some of the newer Kindles, you can kind of do a manual leaf, but it's not. It's not that you can't. You can't turn the corner of a, a Kindle. There's well, no... what I like to do is I get a Kindle and then I pinch the screen so hard that I then tear the screen off the underlying electronics, and then I reach over to a giant pile of Kindles beside my bed, <laughs> which which have all been pre-programmed with each page consecutively. So I go, "This is the Kindle for the next page." <laughs> <laughs> um sorry if that makes me weird oh no no it's kind of what i expected sorry, i'm being honest sorry if you snowflakes don't agree <laughs> if, there are any, if there are any people in whitehall listening to this i'm gonna keep doing it i don't care what you say <laughs> you wall street fat, fat cats <laughs> yeah oh jinx <laughs> so how long were you there for and that was around about a year. Um, so why I did that, I wanted a job in London. 
because I was dazzled by the bright lights of the big city. Um, yes. Yeah, in terms of there, I joined there, one, because London, and two, because I wanted to, as president, so I was president of the Southampton Comedy Society. Uh, and I realized then that I really enjoyed organizing things. So we had to organize, I was part of organizing some trips up to the Edinburgh Fringe and thinking like budgets and thinking about uh, like sleeping schedules of like when people are visiting and things like that. So we had to sleep from 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. till 7 a.m. But you boys wouldn't. <laughs> you were up all night having your funnies. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. And then I started going, oh, this is, Basically, when I left uni, it was either like being a project manager or I was really, really interested in going into politics. And like, I don't know if you guys know this. So there's a uh, there's a website where it's just a list of every job that's going for under MPs. And you can like filter it by the party they're in, like just like, yeah, basically like kind of being an intern for them. And I went to Edinburgh that August. And I remember I was giving this like older Australian woman some directions of where to go. And she said... Like, what, what do you think you might do when you're older? And remember she said to, I said to her like, oh, you know, like I'm thinking about politics, I could work for MPs, I want to like do something that makes a difference. And she was about to go and then she just went, they'll eat you alive. And then she <laughs> left and didn't say another word to me. <laughs> and since that, that just put me off, it got stuck in my head that they might kind of. Oh, and now, wow. Like, was that when we were at the Fringe? At the Fringe, yeah. I was giving like this, we're in Cowgate, which is kind of like near the middle of where the Fringe is. And she was asking for directions. And yeah, she gave me that like weird piece of advice that I really took to heart. And did you tell you anyone it. about it at the time or did you just keep it to yourself? This is the, this is the it's, you've got an exclusive. This is the first time I've ever Ooh. told anyone this story. Really? Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. I, I love the idea of that, of just this, re- this woman who probably didn't think twice about it and it was just passing common and walked off, but you can shape someone's life he kind of did what i i could be part of a government right now uh instead i'm here like i did try to go go into like uh the civil service and so they've got this like fast fast stream fast tracking thing i can't remember yeah yeah, yeah 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 um yeah and i, I thought about that get, as well i could never get past the questionnaire supposedly <laughs> for the questionnaire because like people always said you the answers are online if you want to find the answer to the questionnaire but i never really saw the point of making stuff up i might i thought i might as well like give what i actually think and every time i'd get the same rejection email back oh, so, the old civil service behaviors yeah the behaviors exactly mm-hmm. yeah i could never get my head around them working collaboratively managing a quality service yeah i know all of them mate been in it <laughs> for three years and i <laughs> so obviously we uh we mess at the comedy society and it might have been the first time I went, but I arrived bang on time. And so obviously a lot of people hadn't arrived yet. So it was just like Aidan, who was the president then, and a few other people. And then I just remember that everyone started talking about your imminent arrival. And they all got really excited. And it was a bit like waiting for Godot, where <laughs> people were just saying, I think a few people were saying, oh, is Sean coming? <gasps> Yeah, Sean's coming. Uh, and I was like, oh, who's Sean? Who's this going to be? Because I'd never met anyone there before. And then you showed up and then you kind of looked a bit embarrassed that people were just sort of standing there looking like they were waiting for you to arrive. And then you just kind of made some kind of wry comment. And I just remember, because th- I, I, I was quite intimidated by all of the 
older the people in the older years basically because i was totally new to doing you know going to a comedy society or doing anything like that and then when eva wallace who's on episode six and i started talking about going and doing a sketch show in edinburgh we thought of asking you and i remember even at that point i thought the idea of asking you if you wanted to do it as well seemed like surely never you know he's much too high and mighty to do to do that it's quite weird to think that now but that was my that's my kind of recollection of how i felt at the time i think the thing with southampton was i had already kind of gone through a bit of a uni experience before then so i was like three years older than everyone so i think i don't neither of you were there my first year but I would have had that bit more confidence because I had done a bit. No one, it's a bit weird, I think, if you've done stand-up before you've gone to uni, you'd be really young. There's not, like, much to talk about. So I had, like, a few, like, even, like, just, like, I remember very early. It was more, I, when me and Aidan were presidents, uh, we kind of built it more around sketch and improv. But it was very stand-up to begin with. I knew I had a few bits of stand-up that I did like. So that kind of gave me a bit of confidence, and then I could kind of build on that to begin with. And then... I directed, so the, your guys' first year, I would have directed The Freshers Show. Laugh, Cry, Drink, Repeat. Laugh, Cry, Drink, Repeat. I can't remember a single, I remember a couple of sketches from that, but really few. But yeah, like going into the project manager thing, I liked organising again, and I think maybe I enjoyed that more than the actual comedy. But I'd already been a, I was a comedy president at Lancaster, so I'd already had like experience of doing that kind of thing before. So I think maybe that gave me a little bit more respect as to stronger word but you know like just gave me a bit more confidence that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily have yeah um so yeah because i am i know i'm 31 now so three years older than you jacob five years than jordan so it's kind of it's a bit of an age gap so i think that's probably why that was it was like that to begin with and then very quickly you realized uh you're all funnier than me so then it slowly kind of dragged down um but i tried to keep the illusion up for as long as i could but... i don't know i mean i i that's you, you weren't a <laughs> this sounds like an insult it's not you weren't a generalist in the way that some people are when they just uh eager and they just turn up and they just do whatever because they're just happy to be there you had a kind of particular style and tone to the way that you did things that meant that often you if a sketch was going to be in the show and it had a particular kind of character, it would be like, definitely that's got to be Sean, because he'll do that really well. I do like to shout. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can talk about some of the Normal Boy sketches. Normal Boy was the name of the sketch troupe that uh, Sean and Eva and uh, JG and I did at Edinburgh in 2017. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Normal Boy was great. I think that was probably the, my favourite thing I did at Southampton. I think I remember like we had that month where we would just write stuff and we were talking about like what kind of style we'd want to do. We got obsessed with this game called Mr. Square Goes to Shape Town. Mr. Mr. Circle Goes to Shape City. Mr. Circle Goes to Shape City. Oh, this is so kind of typical, but it'd be the three boys playing Mr. Circle Goes to Shape City. And Eva, probably at the end of like the last tether just desperately trying to get a script written yeah. and saying, what do you guys think about this? And we were trying to figure out, I think the game, I, I've, I've tried to play it since. I think the game's rigged so you can't actually complete I it. I tried to play it the other day because I knew that it would come up in this episode. 
And yeah, I thought it disappeared as well, so I was really surprised that I was able to play it. So there's a level where you have to walk a particular path that I don't think is possible. Did you get past that level? No, I didn't no. play it for very long, I must say, because I, I recalled that I think we came to the conclusion at the time that it, that it was just a joke and there was no way of actually winning it. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, there's quite a big uh, lecture theatre um, in South- at Southampton called Triple, not Triple E actually, called Ed Lec, Education mm-hmm. Lecture Theatre, I think. And I remember you and I and JG standing up at the lectern and playing Mr. Circle Goes to Shape City and Eva sitting in the, in the seats <laughs> with her head in her hands at one point, wondering if we were actually going to write any sketches. But we did, you know, write a lot of sketches, you know, enough that things didn't make it into... The final show we did in Eva's episode, we did talk about the Peter K sketch, oh, but yeah. the one which in which you played Peter K. So if you want to hear more about that, go back and listen to Eva's episode as well, because that was a that that was a, that was our signature sketch, I think. But the the sketch I wanted to talk about was the the one where you played a member of ABBA, and oh. this is a really good example of a sketch that we that no you know no matter who had written it in the society nobody could have done it other than you <laughs> because basically what the sketch was <laughs> was it benny i think it was I think, benny i think i changed it to benny so it's a mixture <laughs> of benny and Bjorn. yeah one of the male members of abba uh but it's him uh and he in the sketch he's a scandinavian detective and that was a name that was what we called the sketch scandinavian detective it was just called scandinavian detective all it was was in the middle of the show, Sean would come out and improvise <laughs> like sometimes 10 minutes of <laughs> of the Scandinavian detective interacting with the audience. Like he was giving a talk to the audience and Sean, you're going to have to going to have to take it from here. So the idea originally with Bienny Anderson, I, I thought I just wanted to do like kind of a character bit where there was I, I thought there was something funny in linking in with a Scandinavian noir film or noir like murder. And I thought that mix with ABBA was just a funny idea generally. Cause like ABBA, if you listen to it, it's actually really dark and weird. So it started off with, I wanted the character to be a motivational speaker, uh, speaking at a car sales event. And then. Oh yeah. Forgot all about that. <laughs> Didn't you mention Fargo in it as well? Fargo was definitely an inspiration. Yeah. I wanted yeah. it to kind of be like this weird, like imagine him in like this really weird, snowy, small town eventually he's raving about how a caribou had murdered his uh the rest oh, of yeah, Abba. The caribou. so the whole idea was eventually <laughs> it got weirder as it went on because what was happening if in edinburgh we were there for a whole month and you get tired so you just start saying things and not we really had no breaks we did we it every a- single day eventually i decided the character needed a nemesis and i thought <laughs> caribou is a funny word so there was a caribou who killed the rest of Abba, I think, in a snowplow incident. And that kind of led to me walking around the stage, ideally getting on top of some chairs and walking on chairs and asking people what their favourite Abba songs were. And that was me shouting for five minutes. And I would kind of be screaming in people's faces. And we'd have like five people in and most of them were kind of, it was quite an, it was like one o'clock, 12 o'clock, that show. And I'd be screaming in like a dad's uh, face. I think it was 11 a.m. 11, that's too I early. I think it's a really bad slot. Yeah, I, but it was 11 a.m. It was too early. I always thought there was a decent show in that character. 
the issue is one, I can't do a Scandinavian accent to save my life. No, that was the best it, part. <laughs> it would go from like all across Europe, maybe into oh, a bit yeah. of Asia and back. The way <laughs> the way you said the word caribou was the thing that always got me because it was like it was like some kind of weird American accent that suddenly came on you and you said caribou and I can't even hope to recreate it but and you always said it with such passion as well just like such think, anguish in your voice it was I think just commitment to oh. like I always try to do 100% into roles yeah and mm-hmm. oh no this is from the piece of K sketch but the other thing that always there you know those moments in shows that are so that that you, the cast like so much that it's always a danger they're gonna corpse the bit that always used to get me that you did you and you might remember the line, but you you said you always said <laughs> no bigger than a, <laughs> yeah, and then you say a different bird every time. I remember, I remember holding his coffin. He was no bigger than a chaffinch. Yeah, and and I, you would and change like, the bird and, every time. And Eva and JG and I would be backstage because you'd go <laughs> no bigger than a cormorant, and we'd. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And I think quite often I. My memory is that I'd just be almost the whole show up until that point. I'd be thinking, "What is he gonna say in the Peter K sketch?" When you're doing it like thirty times in a row, you've got to like change something up just to be yeah. <laughs> just for everyone's sanity. I think my favorite bird. I think in the Peter. So yeah, again, I'm gonna make it clear. I can't do accents, but my favorite one was sparrow. No bigger than a sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit was when you started to lose your mind in that sketch and you were like, do you remember Great Fire of London? <laughs> oh, I've changed those every time as well. And yeah, I got harder because yeah. my history knowledge isn't perfect. So. <laughs> Shall we get on to the final bit, which is crafting your dream job? Now, what we like to ask everyone before we jump into this is, do you already have a dream job? I have, it's selfish, I have three written down. We can work with that. Number one, I'd like to be a 12th century architect. <laughs> I would never, I would like to design something that I will never see the end of. It feels pressure free. It feels like I could leave a lasting impact. And if it went poorly, it would just be pulled down so that the modern times we wouldn't know they existed. What assumptions about 12th century architecture are making their way into this idea that you have? I'm assuming. I am building something epic. Like a cathedral. Cathedral, that's the minimum. Uh, Leaning Tower (laughs) of Pisa. You didn't ask whether I need to be qualified. (laughs) I assume this is just my dream. The dream is to have, to start, I want the credit for something that if it goes wrong, I won't be alive to, to know. So like if you built the Leaning Tower of Pisa and then it's straightened up after you died. Well, it was supposed to be straight to begin with. Oh, okay. He messed up. Which is exactly what I want. I want the, I want the openness to be able to do it wrong. As I am living, there'll be foundations, and I'll go. This looks great, and then I'll die, and then it's whoever took over is their their fault. So you don't want to be like the Roman architect who builds a bridge and then he's made to stand underneath it while the scaffolding's taken away. Have you no, heard? I of don't. That? I don't. I haven't. But I don't want my architecture to kill me. It's essential that the architecture isn't finished. The building isn't complete before I die. I must die first of natural causes. <laughs> I have to be really specific on this one. 
<laughs> yeah, because what they used to do in the Roman times, I'm given to understand, is uh, that if after the bridge is done, the, ar- the architect has to stand underneath it while the scaffolding is taken away because he has to be that sure that he's built it properly. Like that confident that it's not going to fall on top of him and kill him. Uh, what bloody elf and safety these days. They've taken all that away now, haven't they? They won't let me stand under my bridge. <laughs> <laughs> like the troll I am. <laughs> but that's very much the opposite scenario to the one you're after. No, that's ultimate, uh, ultimate confidence. Mine is from a place of zero confidence. Uh, mine's but, the, cow- but, the cowardly architect. So... What are we learning about Sean Gilbody? Are we learning that you have, that you do not care about what happens? You don't care about your legacy. You don't care about how you're remembered after you die. I would rather it was good. Like, I'm not, I am spending time. It'd be nice if it was good. But if it's not, that's also fine. So you're not actually expecting that you'll make buildings that will fall down in this scenario. It's just Uh, in case they do. That's, you want the insurance. The insurance of my death to make sure that. As far as I'm concerned, it went well. Okay. <laughs> so that's job one. What's job two? Job two. Um, I, I really like custard. So I'd okay. like to be some kind of custard influencer or custard <laughs> taster. I would go around the world tasting different custards and their varieties. <laughs> and from there, we can figure out what's going on. So I wonder what's going on. What like there's, there's something going on with custard that you need to figure out. <laughs> Frangipan, creme brulee. Frangipan, what's that? I don't know. I I was googling different kinds of custard <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Panna okay, cotta, so is that a custard? I'm very interested by the concept. I can I get the concept of a custard taster. That's fine. What I'm interested in is the concept of a custard influencer. So okay. this is someone who, um, you know, so influencers are often very um, beautiful or fashionable people who, for that reason, <laughs> have large existing followers, uh, followings on, say, Instagram or TikTok. And advertisers think, I want to advertise my product. And, you know, two million people like this person enough that if this person professes to use my product, they will be influenced by that. So I think what we need, the gaps we need you to fill in here is what, how have you attained this existing following that you would need to have in order to be an influencer? And why would a custard company decide to come to you specifically to advertise to your follow, to influence your followers to buy their custard? So I, in my mind, I would be the Stuart Lee of custard. I would build my niche of a very custard-focused audience. That's what I'm selling to to the to big custard, custard corp. <laughs> they know yeah. they come to Gilbertie. The custard fans are going to follow. From that perspective, how I would do that. I would start off with short TikToks of me trying different supermarket custards. Okay. Let's start with that off to begin with. Yeah. Every so often, I will intersperse that by mixing custard with other things. For instance, <laughs> for instance, I had custard with broken bits of mince pie in it 
last week. Oh yeah. And I did I did not like it. I thought it ruined <laughs> It ruined what was a perfectly good custard. Um so I think people will go What's he going to put in custard? <laughs> From there, I slowly, yeah, I I think I will get my custard niche and slowly build the audience up that way. So just to explain the custard taster thing, that's more a family thing, because my granddad was a professional tea taster. Really? Oh, wow. He worked for co-op going around the world tasting different teas. So that also keeps up. Oh, my mum would like that job. I think he, from my knowledge, he liked it. He was... He knew his tea. He was a tea. I like to be him, but him in custard. So yeah, that's yeah, that's why I'm kind of going for the custard route. But if I was going down the custard influencer route, yeah, build up my niche audience. Custard with I, I, I'm going to say let's go for American desserts that we wouldn't normally associate custard with. Custard with a pecan pie. I've never seen that before. Custard with I would uh, try that. A pumpkin pie. <laughs> it's going to be quite what, high what focused. What about like in, in an American diner, you could have like a custard float. Oh yes, <laughs> in- exactly. Yeah, it would just be like instead of I, coke and ice cream on top, you could have a coke and custard. <laughs> could I develop an alcoholic custard? Could is I? That a rhetorical that, question. That, that would be. <laughs> I'd actually be interested to try that. It sounds like is eggnog, like a daiquiri egg- custard. I. This is the first time I've ever said this to anyone in one of these sections before, Sean. But this dream job is something that you could totally do, like. You could just do it now. You could start doing it now. I don't want the fame as the issue. <laughs> I. But you could do it with like a bag over your head with a question mark on it or something. Well, how's he going to eat the custard then, stupid? Well, with a hole <laughs> where the mouth is. I could do it with a mask of Captain Birdseye. What is he? Birdseye like? custard. Uh, ah. Big beard. I think that's all I know. Um, yeah, I just like well, custard. There's no other motivation behind that job that um, it's become clear. So like custard. why? So being serious now, being deadly serious, why yes. wouldn't you now do it if you're wearing a mask and you've got like a voice modulator on that means no one can recognise your voice? Is the custard industry ready to be <laughs> so shaken up? Do you mean like in the current economic climate? You're worried that you're gonna you're gonna make it collapse. I mean, both figuratively, yet yeah, make the custard industry. There's only so much custard that the custard corp can produce. Mm-hmm. If I get too popular, <laughs> the prices are going to sky. I'm going to price myself out of my own product. Uh, and also, literally, that's another video idea. I could uh, I could do videos of me like dancing in custard, <laughs> or I could do a charity thing with me in a bath of custard. And I can only leave the bath once I've eaten all the custard. <laughs> when they do, do you not think when they do the bath of beans, that is like eat eat the beans. There's no what you do. You'll just cover. You might you might as well just pull the cans over your head. Sean, I'm hesitating to say what was the third job. <laughs> uh, third job was um, I've just written down brewer brackets general. <laughs> I would like to be able to brew something. So originally I wrote down coffee brewer. Now, what I think I mean is coffee roaster, but um, <laughs> I, I'm going to stick with the word brewer. I would like to brew beer. Uh, what else can you brew? 
I don't tea? know. Tea? Sorry, of course I could brew tea. You could follow in your granddaddy's footsteps and, and brew tea. You can also brew up a storm. I could brew up a storm. Oh, you could brew yeah, custard. I could control the weather. You could brew custard. I could brew bring custard. The two together, home, homemade custard. Where is this coming from then, Sean? Do you like do you like craft beer? Do you like all of those weird little expensive? You strike, you strike me as an IPA bloke. I do, and I know that makes me a bit of a numpty. I think people, <laughs> I know people judge me for drinking IPA, but I You're tell you what, I like Brewdog. I tell you I like what you are. Oh, don't. I think it tastes nice, and I won't feel guilty anymore for liking Wait, it. Wait, you, you drink punk IPA? <laughs> I drink punk IPA. I drink Hazy Jane. I drink Electric Dream, I drink Elvis Juice, I drink Double Punk IPA, which I think is just the twice alcoholic one. I drink them and I like them. All right, fair enough. You're. A, you're I have a, no opinion about this at all. You're unapologetic. If our listeners want to send hate mail to Sean, <laughs> his email address is... .com. <laughs> Oh, yep, my, my actual email address, yep. <laughs> is, that, is that his actual note, Jacob? <laughs> well, obviously I'm not going to leave it in. <laughs> no, his at, no. to be fair, his actual email address is custardman. Custardman <laughs> Custard. And that's if you drink more than eight pints of custard, then you become custardman. I would love to, to be. the toilet. <laughs> what if I was the Banksy of custard? Like, it would be me doing videos in around the country, nobody knowing who I am, everyone wondering why I'm leaving this custard. That mixes in with the architecture thing, kind of, because there's no responsibility. I will make custard drawings, drawings out of custard, and then also eat a bit of the custard and leave it like social commentaries around <laughs> the country. Those in the blueprints. Uh, why don't yeah. we mash the three together? You could brew the custard. You could mask yourself and go around the country and and paint with custard and then you could eat the custard oh. i think that's it i i couldn't imagine a better life <laughs> i'd I love to do it for the, i can't wait for the original custard man to pop up in bristol because we've got because would... obviously we've got loads of banksies around there haven't we i've been around and seen a few of them like the original banksies um so i can't wait to see the original custards you know how banksy like shredded that painting yeah and yeah. made them up. How could I do that with custard? I guess you could freeze it and then you could like shatter it. <laughs> oh, that'd be tempting. Yeah, I'd have to be, I'd, I'd only work during winter to make sure it's cold enough to stay frozen. And then that'd be my job. <laughs> what I'd like to see is you turn up at Trafalgar Square at 5 a.m. one day before any of the journalists have got up out of bed. I do that most days, but yes. And you build custard frozen custard effigies of all the ceos of all the major custard manufacturers and then as the morning moves on and trafalgar square fills with people you very somberly smash all of the statues to pieces with a big hammer and then you look at everyone and say it's time (laughs) could then some street urchins run in and they could eat the custard i wouldn't be littering (laughs) I'd be feeding people. I think that's perfect almost. Yeah. Have you seen the Anthony Gormley statues in Liverpool ever? They're like these statues. There's like 100 of them on a beach and they're just like looking out to sea. It's kind of, if you Google that, that's kind of what I'm imagining with these statues, but they're made out of custard and not on a beach. They're in Trafalgar Square. Sean, completely off topic, but it's, it's eating away at me. Thoughts on Angel Delight? 
Uh, I loved it as a child, enjoyed it as a teenager, as an adult, I could do without it. I did it last year as part of a pre-birthday treat, uh, the butterscotch variation, and oh, it was possibly was it's the worst disappointment I've had. Really? In five years. Oh, there was nothing better. What happened five years ago? I hamster died. <laughs> <laughs> What a dis- what a letdown! Three years, what a waste of time! What a waste of everyone's time. Well, um, this has been a real roller coaster of an episode, um, but I think that we found you a dream job because I think that at the end of the day, these will all combine into one overall vocation for you. You look happy. We look happy. Let's shake on it. Sounds good to me. I just want to say, I feel like I've drunk eight pints worth of job without having gone to the toilet i think i can officially call myself job man <laughs> and on that note sean thanks very much <laughs> thank you for coming thank you sean thank you it's been lovely to speak to you and uh, keep reaching for those stars baby I've actually never become the beer man. I think the most I've ever drunk in one night was seven pints of beer, which was the night of the day that I handed in my dissertation. And then I was very ill before I even went to bed. That's amateur hour for you, seven pints. I think I've, I've probably done 10 plus pints in a night. Well, may I be the first to say, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of cool. What I tend to do is every time I finish a can, I'll crush it on my head and then I'll shout, "How's that?" and throw it into the recycling bin. And do you do that thing where you drink the whole can in one go without yeah. stopping? Yeah. Have you ever shotgunned a can before? As in shot it with a shotgun? <laughs> no. It's where you, it's where you shake the can really hard to get the beer all fizzy, and then you stab the side of the can. You have to hold the can up to your mouth and then quickly drink it all in one go. And I did that once when I was fifteen, and I threw up. Fifteen? Yeah, misspent youth. Well, you wouldn't do that with a beer that Sean had brewed in his dream job, would you? That would be very disrespectful. No, no, I'd sip that with a, a steak and a cigar. Yeah, and some custard and in some a 12th century edifice of some kind, although yeah. you'd probably be nervous it was about to fall down on top of you. Oh, yeah, if Sean knocked it up, then, I mean, because, yeah, he's famously a bit of a cowboy builder, isn't he? I think I he saw is. him on that show with Dom Littlewood once. He was Me trying too. To- yeah, he was trying to get into his Range Rover and drive away really quickly. One of the episodes <laughs> back from the 12th century. Yeah. <laughs> With Dom Littlewood's great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> Dominus Littlewood. <laughs> well, it was very fun to have Shawnee Boy, as he likes to be known, on the podcast. And I hope that you enjoyed listening to his silliness and his lovely dream jobs. Is that the first time we've had more than one dream job? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is, actually. Yeah, because we've had, um, I mean, we've had plenty of weird and wacky ones, but we've never had uh, a three-in-one before. So this is this has been a bit of a, a boundary-pushing episode, when you think about it. 
I do think about it. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>